Right now, let's turn to God's Word and see what He tells us. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn for all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let us pray. Lord Almighty, as we come to Your Word once again, I pray that You would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, so that we will hear and understand what You are saying to us. And then, God, the Spirit, have your way in our hearts. Shape us and mold us to be the men and women of God you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You might have missed it, but Facebook and the Internet are ablaze with people talking about the upcoming presidential election. Have either of you heard anything about what's going on? And there are people screaming on both sides of the aisle how unfit for office this person or that person is. You've heard people on the internet dooming. You have to vote for our person even though we don't like that person as well as we could. Still, they're far better than the other person. Now, I've heard way too much of that, and so I'm going to graciously spare us all pontificating about that. But it serves as a great introduction for a comment made by the former prime minister of the Netherlands who used language that I think many in this room will agree with. Abraham Kuyper said, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not call mine. There is not one inch of any of your life, not politics, not work, not school, not church, Not any aspect of our world or even our own little lives is above the claim of Him with whom we all have to do. And where does Kuiper get that? He gets that right here from our passage today, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. 
Now, Pastor Benji has been in the book of Hebrews now for almost a year, and he has repeatedly said to us, Christ is better. The preacher to the Hebrews was listening in his mind, and he was hearing his people saying, well, is Jesus better than, and before they'd get it out, yes, Jesus is even better than that. And Paul would agree. In fact, Paul takes great pains to explain to us in this passage that Christ is number one. Christ is first. There is nothing above him. There is nothing below him. There is nothing that isn't held by him. There is nothing better than him. And there is nothing that he is not in front of and behind and all around. Paul said Christ is preeminent. Christ is first in all things. Now, every single passage of the Bible aims to do one or more of three things. Every passage in the Bible aims to change how you think, what you believe, and or what you do. Our passage today aims at correcting the way you and I think about the world around us creation, and it aims to correct how you and I think about the church, the new creation. Now, in spite of what we might be tempted to think because we are daily swimming in a sea of filth that seeks to turn us away from Christ, the very atmosphere we breathe is filled to try to change us and turn us away from understanding that Christ is first. We see that Christ is preeminent. Christ surpasses all others. He is distinguished in every way. Jesus Christ is the most important person that has ever lived. And Christ is first in creation. We're going to see that in verses 15 to 17 in our passage, starting in verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The universe, creation, Every single thing that there is was created by God. This includes things that were visible and invisible. And not things that are invisible because they're too small, like the viruses and germs that passed from my toddler this week to me. Not just invisible because they're so small like that, but invisible because they're immaterial. They're not something you can touch. God created angels, and some angels became demons. And God created our spirits. Now, our spirits is that part of us that is essential to us. It's more important to us than our hands, because we can lose our hands and still be human beings. Our spirit is that part of us that is essential to us and that the world works so hard at denying to its own harm. 
If you are going to read the Bible at all, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that the Bible describes things as they are, not as they are portrayed in the politically correct media. For instance, you are a soul. You are a spirit and a body connected. It's who you are. And what you do, what you listen to, what surgeries you have impact you. The real you. And not just the part that you want everybody to see. Now for millennia, this has been beyond dispute. The vast majority of cultures and human beings for the history of mankind have not failed to recognize spiritual reality. Yet, for the last 250 years or so of Western civilization, we have been steadily crawling to the place where, like Jonah's Ninevites who didn't know their right hand from their left, we deny that there is any male or female. Let that sit on you for a moment. We, for this very brief moment, are able to deny reality, but it will not last. And reality has a way of getting revenge on those who deny Him. Do not allow a momentary infatuation with all that the world distracts us with take you away from knowing in your heart, soul, mind, strength, and genitalia that Christ is first in all things. Now I mentioned that this passage aims at changing the way you think. Now, I'd wager that most people in this room are not confused about their gender identity. I hope there are. I hope you come. I hope you bring your friends who are confused and that they come so that we can love them. But there may just be some among you who are and undoubtedly there are those in this room who know people who are confused about their gender identity. So what does this passage say to that person. It says that our feelings are not primary when considering our gender or our sexuality. It says that Christ, in His gracious decision to create us as we are, with malformed ears, with smaller hands than they ought to be, with confusing emotions and all that the fall has done to warp us and change us from being the way we are. God has made us that way. And so we must recognize that and use all of our struggles, all of our struggles, emotional, mental, physical, to turn us to God and say, Lord, help me. And Christian... Do not fall into the trap that the world wants to trap you into. Do not fall into the trap, well, I've never felt this way. That means they haven't either. That's folly. Listen, the people who struggle with soji issues genuinely struggle. Just exactly like every single person in this room struggles with their own flavor of sin that we need to overcome, they struggle with their flavor of sin. So do you who struggle. My advice, struggle 
Turn to Colossians 1 and take heart that your wise and gracious and all-powerful Creator has made you the way you are and you can trust Him to fight through the battle of this life. You can trust Him with all your greatest fears and pains and frustrations and doubts. Does anybody here struggle with doubts? Your Savior is big enough even for that. And Christian, if God created this person with this particular struggle and He put them in your neighborhood, He also created you to be His hands and His feet so that you can hold them and you can walk with them through the struggle that is life. Anybody here not have struggles? Now, let me take a time out again for a really quick second. I know that I just ran right through a whole lot of issues that are enormous and totally did not touch a lot of things that needed to be touched. But listen to this. This is where it begins. This is where this, the, the discussion begins. Struggle with your loving God and those who can love you through this. Whatever your struggle is. Christ is first in creation and Christ is first in the new creation. Starting in verse 18. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Paul is very clear here. And I love his clarity. Christ is first... For among many reasons, he is first for a primary reason that he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who opened the gates of heaven. Because he rose from the grave, everyone who trusts his promises can know that they too will not be destroyed when their heart stops. Because Jesus rose from the grave, Christ proved that He is preeminent. Christ proves that He surpasses all others in everything. And Christ proves that He created the church. Now Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are a new creation. When, when we come, we become a Christian, when the Spirit gives us birth, we are a new creation. Now, collectively, we are the new creation. The church is the new creation. It's, it's a part of, but yet distinct from, all that is material around us. And Paul distinguishes these two, the all material, non-personal things of the universe, and those who are a part of the church, the new creation, he distinguishes these two in part, I think, because he wants to display Christ's great supremacy, his preeminence. I mean, we start to run out of words because God is so marvelous. 
And he shows us this wonder in this one man, Jesus Christ. And my friends, Christ's supremacy over all things changes everything. Changes everything. Look at me at verse 20. Because I need to take a pause for a moment and I need to talk about a problem verse. What's a problem verse? A problem verse is a verse that we don't quite get. Has anybody ever run into one of those? You're not really sure what to make out of this verse? Or, or maybe it seems to say something that doesn't fit with what we know to be true elsewhere. It's, it's a problem verse. And because I believe that the Word of God because I believe the Bible to be the Word of God, and that I believe that all of God's Word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, I need to take problem verses seriously. And so, before we get into it, I want to say three things that you need to understand about every single one of these difficult verses you find in the Bible. The first one, God left hard verses because He wants you to struggle. He wants you to struggle with this verse and use this struggle to draw closer to Himself. Nobody has all of their theology tied up in a neat little bow. We all need to struggle with God's Word so that we will know Him better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. Nobody's got all of their theological I's dotted and T's crossed. Secondly, I must remain humble. This hard verses are there so I'm humble and I will not presume that I have all of the answers about anything. There are holes in my theology and I must be careful when I'm talking to people about theology because you might be right and I might be wrong. And third thing that I, I know about every difficult or problem verse in the Bible, life is more complex than can fit on a bumper sticker. Do you ever see those bumper stickers you're driving and this person's bumper sticker makes it seem like they've got it all figured out? End war, end hate, end all these things. Well, Lord Almighty, if bumper stickers sorted that all out for us, we'd be done, right? Life is more complicated than what can fit on a bumper sticker. Problem verses show me that God is bigger than my puny mind can contain. And while I can know God and know Him truly because He has revealed Himself, in 10 million ages, I will never comprehend Him. I will never know everything there is to know about God. Anybody with me on that? So what's the problem? What's the difficulty? Why is verse 20 one of these verses? Well, verse 20 says, through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things. On a surface level, there's at least two very wrong interpretations. The first is taking the word reconcile, which means to make new or, or renew a peaceful relationship. And if I take that understanding of reconcile, and if I take all things to mean all things, then the Bible teaches universalism, and everybody's going to be saved, so it really doesn't matter what we do. 
But the Bible most definitely does not teach that. And I'm not going to take the time to defend that. If you struggle with that, come talk to me later. There are those who will someday perish eternally, unfortunately. The second wrong interpretation of verse 20 if the Bible doesn't teach universalism, the other wrong interpretation is that Paul is somehow in error in teaching that all things will be reconciled. But you all know me. Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people don't think that the Bible is in error by definition. So what does it mean? Do you, do you see the problem? Do you understand universalism on one hand, error on the other? If the Bible doesn't teach error and the Bible doesn't teach universalism, then what I and what every single one of us must do is first of all pray, Lord, give me grace. And then read. Go into God's Word and think about what it says. Ask those who have walked with your Lord longer than you have. Have you ever struggled with this verse? Have you ever come to terms with what it means? So what does it mean? Well, as I said many times, never just look at one verse. If you only look at verse 20, you're liable to come up with all kinds of weird ideas. Meaning is gained in context. So let me give you two points, data points of context so that we can understand this. In the larger context, Paul teaches that Creation itself, all material, non-personal aspects of the creation, not humans, not angels, not animals, is withering under the curse of sin, but will one day be set free. Look at this, verse eight, uh, Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him, God, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, set free and reconciled are not the same. But in this case, I think the ideas are closely related. And I think that something like this is what's happening in Colossians. All of creation will one day be set free from the curse. Set free from the curse be brought into a peaceful relationship with the Father, huh, makes sense. And I, like I said, I think that's part of what's going on. But I don't think it's the most important thing going on in Colossians 1. Because in the immediate context, in this particular passage, Paul declares unequivocally that Christ is preeminent. Christ is number one. Christ is first. Christ is the most important of anyone in anything, anywhere, anywhen. And because of Christ's death, everything, as we learn in Romans 8, will be set free. And everyone, as we learn in John 3.16, has this reconciliation made available to them. Now, I have not turned in my Reformed theology card by saying that everyone has this reconciliation made available to them. How do I know that? Well, because God's Word teaches that men, from every, men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation are going to confess Christ. 
Revelation 5, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. One day, every single man, woman, and child will recognize that Christ is first. And as we see here, everyone in heaven will do it gladly. And we know that everyone in hell will recognize it also. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this glorious reality that is described in Revelation 5 and in Philippians chapter 2 is spoken of as a past event in Colossians 1 because God said he was going to do it, and if God says he's going to do it, it's as sure as if it's already been done. You get it? God's word, his promises cannot fail. But then I, I still need to struggle. Okay, so God will reconcile people from all sorts of people, from all, all corners of the universe, so to speak. Okay, I get that. But now, how do I think differently because of this, because of Colossians chapter 1? First of all, Christ is first means that Christ is in control. My friends, you don't have to worry about November. You don't have to get in a tizzy every night at 8 p.m. when the news comes on. You don't have to fret. Christ is first. That means He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the President of presidents. He is first. And what we learn here, one aspect of Him being first is that people from everywhere and every when will join us in heaven. People whose sin looks different than yours. People whose skin looks different than yours. People who dress differently than you do. People who speak differently than you do will join us praising Christ our Lord. So we don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. If you are in Christ, this world is a perfectly safe place for you to be because Christ is first. So, live for Him now without fear. Let me, let me give you an example of when God commanded someone to do exactly that for exactly the reason we're talking about. In Acts 18, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, be careful. The promise here specifically to Paul that no one will harm you in this city doesn't have my name on it and doesn't have your name on it, even if your name happens to be Paul. 
But what does fit, what does transfer over to you and to me and to everyone who trusts the promises of God for them in Christ is that God is with you. And He will let no ultimate harm come to you. And He specifically identifies the reason in this case. I'm not saying it's the only reason. But the reason He identifies here is He says, For I have many in this city who are My people. I believe that there are more people to come to Christ in the United States. And as the community, and as our culture gets darker, guess what? The light shines brighter. Be that light. Because you have nothing to be afraid of. I want to re-go through the passage. And we're going to go through the passage in a, in a water ski sort of fashion because I want to point out three important truths that you might have missed. Three universals. The first universal is the universal supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme over all, everywhere, and every when. The second universal is the universality of the good news. The good news affects all, everyone, always, everywhere. Even if that good news is bad news because that person has rejected it for themselves. And the third universal is the universal sufficiency of Christ. Christ is omnicompetent. No one is better at Him at anything. Christ is first. So let's look at the universal supremacy of Christ. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Go back to our quote from Kuiper at the beginning. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence. Not how you eat breakfast. Not what clothes you wear. Not what surgeries you have. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! It belongs to me. And you can trust Him with it. By the way, you've all heard me say a thousand times that the essence of being Christian, if you boiled it all down into one sentence, the most important aspect of what it means to be a Christian is to trust the promises of God for you in Christ. You can read verse 16 as a promise. Are you struggling with some frustration? Are you struggling with a sin that you've had for decades and you still can't kick it? I won't ask for hands because I'll call you all out as liars because you won't raise your hand. Are you struggling with something physical, mental, relational, 
then you can know that Christ created all things and therefore Christ is in sovereign control over it. You need not fear. God is right there near you. In fact, he spelled this exact promise out in 2 Corinthians 9.8 when he said, And God will make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. God is is with you through your struggles to bring you along, to draw you closer to Him. What about the universality of the good news? Verse 20, Through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. The good news of Jesus Christ is universal. That means it applies to everyone. Even the people whose sin disgusts you. It applies to them. Why? For a whole lot of reasons, not least of which is that your sin disgusts somebody else. Most importantly, God. And He did the work that was necessary to wipe it away. You will celebrate in heaven. Listen, if you're in heaven, you will celebrate with people who eat disgusting things. There are going to be people who eat Rocky Mountain oysters. There are going to be people who eat Spam and like it. There's even going to be people who eat mayonnaise. But we'll be redeemed and the earth will be reconciled so mayo probably won't be there. But even if Satan corrupted eggs are there, we'll be okay. It'll be heaven. The third universal is the universal sufficiency of Christ. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Listen, Christ is the wisest, most intelligent, best informed person in the universe. Jesus Christ can give advice to Bill Gates on computers and to Elon Musk on how to run a company. Jesus could give advice on relationships to Dr. Phil, and he can give advice on personal well-being to Oprah. And he can give, Jesus Christ can give decorating advice to Martha Stewart, and he could give her advice on how to stay out of jail. <laughs> Jesus Christ is preeminent, and he is omnicompetent. He is better than everybody on everything. Now, of course, the most important thing this shows is that my wife is much closer to Christ than I am because she is much more omnicompetent than I Mom, where's this? Mom, where's that? Dad, where's mom? Christ is first in everything. Every aspect of your lives, Christ is first. Now, I have emphasized that a clear application of this passage is in how you think. And I've given you two examples. There are thousands of examples, but two of them, how you think about people who are different than you. And then second, how you think about the fact that Christ is going to call people who are different than you to himself. And because of those two things to think about, you can know that you know that for those in Christ, this world is a perfectly safe place to be. You don't have to be afraid. There is another application, and this one is divinely inspired, in fact. 
when thinking about this creation and the new creation, neither the earth nor the church exist for themselves. The purpose of either is not simply to be, go watch the TV show at night, but to fulfill the redemptive purposes of him who is first. Listen to how Paul applies his own his own writing. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Because Christ is first, you must therefore continue in the faith. Press on. Struggle. Persevere. Fight through for what? What? What is it that we are to fight through for? The hope of the good news that Jesus is first. My friends, that fight is not with anybody out there. That fight is in my own dark and sinful heart. And it is this hoping in Christ as first is, according to our passage, the shared purpose of the earth and the church, of you and of me. And as you hope in Christ, you will be stable and steadfast, as Paul says here. Put your hope in Christ and not the latest polls. Put your hope in Christ and not the latest commercial that says all the things you want to cheer for. Put your hope in Christ and turn that garbage off. Because that decision may be the one that helps purify your mind so that you can think about Christ is first. Because in the end, in the end, for those of us who belong to Christ, the next president of the United States, while significant, and we should, we should exercise our duties as citizens to vote and to persuade Ultimately, who, remain, who becomes the president is not nearly as important as who, is, as who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the President of Presidents. Christ is first. Lord, we pray to you because there is no one else to pray to. We pray to you because you are sovereign. Give us, Lord, to think differently about the people who are around us, that they are those we are to love, and that because you have given us hands and feet to love them, and you have given us the opportunity to share that you are first, we need fear no man, because you are sovereign. You are first. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.